When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back to a Celtic State of Mind. I'm Paul John Dykes and today I am delighted to be joined by Liam Carrigan. Liam, you are dialing in from Japan, but you are wearing a South Korea jersey. Tell us a wee bit about that and how that links into today's show. Well, um, I mean, first of all, a shout out to our two Korean lads who both were excellent at the weekend. Yeah. Um, but also, th- this jersey's got a wee bit of a story to it. This was one of the first sort of a non-European jerseys that I ever added to my collection from the 1998 World Cup. And um, if you remember back in the day, there used to be a BBC show called Offside that Tam Cowan hosted. And I went into the audience of that one night and uh, I wore this top because right. I thought I'm going to wear something because everyone would, was wearing like Celtic Rangers, Partick Thistle, yeah. whatever. I thought I'm going to wear something that will stand All out. the refs, all the refs had the Partick Thistle jerseys on. Ah, yeah, yeah. And um, Phil Differ, the, the, the only excuse writer, was oh, doing what he's, he's he was doing his warm up man, and mm-hmm. he shot me down an absolute beauty. <laughs> um, he was like, Oh, he, he walked in, he's like, I love to look around and see what shirts people are wearing. He's like, You big man, what shirt's that? And I went, oh, I, Very proudly, you know, I went, Oh, it's the, it's the South Korean national team. He went, All right, very good. Do you get too many home games? <laughs> <laughs> Phil Differ, by the way, I'm so glad. I didn't know you were going to bring him into the conversation, right? Mm. He is a a comedy genius who very often kind of goes under the radar, Liam, because he does a lot of the writing rather than the performing. But obviously Uh. he was was involved in so many of the, the comedy acts and shows that became part of Scottish culture, really. I mean, he was behind Rabsy Nisbet, The Baldy Man, uh, the old naked video, and then, of course, only an excuse when it was good. Phil Differ was writing. He was such a creative soul. And uh, way back, actually, in the earlier days of A Celtic State of Mind, I had the great pleasure of interviewing him on the channel. So it's on the YouTube. Go and have a listen to it. The man is so passionate and so emotional that day, actually. Um, whenever we talk about the Lisbon Lions, it brings a tear to Phil Differ's eye. And it's a genuine emotion as well. We've got Ian Conroy coming in. Ian, from New Zealand. Ian, can you remember the old Only an Excuse when it was good? You remember that? I do, many, many moons ago. Yes. I mean, it it was a staple part of Scottish football. You know, you used to listen to it on the radio and then in the fanzines they would sell sell the cassettes. They sold so many cassettes, right, that they got into the indie top 10 in the NME chart which was one of Phil's greatest achievements. But, you know, he and, I guess, that whole um, humour and all that kind of comedy behind Scottish football, I miss it a wee bit, to be fair. 
I mean, there's there's figures in the Scottish game right now, Ian, that they would have a field day with. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, yeah I think we're, we're taking ourselves far too seriously. Um, whether it's filtered down, trickled down from the uber uber serious and uber uber important um, English Premier League, uh, I'm not so sure, you know. But my dad always said, I've just said, my dad caught up my dad uh, over the weekend. My dad always said a, a thing that sticks with me. But the difference between um, English football and Scottish football, as we know, we're rubbish. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> it's so true. Th- this is the thing. That was why I loved the guys like Phil for poking fun at ourselves as a nation, uh, you know, when it came to football. And, yeah, I, I think in time people will look at only its use and-, and see it for what it is now and what it became. But back in the day, yes, it was cutting edge. It was hilariously funny. And a lot of the impressions actually car- characterised the people that they were based on. Like Frank McAvenny speaks about that, Ian, you know, where's the birds? That became more famous than him almost. Yeah. Did you listen? I, I listened to, um, I think it was the last um, Chalky uh, Brian McClear podcast, Life of Brian, which I love, by the way. If anyone got a chance to listen to that, it's uh, it's, it's fantastic. Um, it's um, Jonathan Watson is uh, is the last last guest and he's brilliant he sort of he, he, he speaks about obviously his uh, his uh, experience and stuff like that an integral part of it and yeah the, 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 he speaks about McAvenny's uh, character I don't think Macca was too chuffed with some of it you know but I think over years he's kind of um, he's, he's gotten used to it and he actually quite holds a, holds, a, holds a special place for him now He kind of embraced it Ian didn't he um, One final word on Phil Differ if you never watched it, and I'm sure most of you did, if you never watched that brilliant BBC documentary on the Lisbon Lions that came out um, in the year of the 50th anniversary and it won a BAFTA, Phil Differ's on it. He's good pal directed it, John McLaverty. I interviewed them both at the time. So what we're we talking, six years ago. But it's on the YouTube channel. Go and have a wee listen to that. And if you've not seen the documentary, find it, seek it out. It is unbelievable. It's a tearjerker. And talking to tearjerkers, of course, Liam, Today is two years since we lost Bertie. Two years already. Yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievable. You know, of all the Lisbon Lions, um, you know, I've spoken before about how Stevie Chalmers was the one that basically introduced me to Celtic, gave me a stadium tour when I was five years old. Mm -hmm. And that was my first ever visit to Celtic Park. But over the years, working at Celtic with my dad and whatever, Bertie was the one that we kind of got to know the most. And yeah, just on a personal level, his passing was probably the the one that 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 hurt the most. Um, really, just a lovely guy, just lived and breathed Celtic. Um, everything good about Celtic was in that wee man. Everything. You know this as well, Liam. Uh, during the the recent centenary game for St. Rocks, uh, we tried to play pay tribute to a few uh, individuals, one being Bertie Old, and you'll notice that if you look back on the pictures, every player was wearing the number 10 shorts, and if you look really closely, there was a real Lisbon Lion crest with Bertie's name on it, on the number, uh, going back to the old numbered shorts back in the day. It's a bit nostalgic so far, isn't it? Um, and also the training jackets had the big number 10 on the breast as well. That was a tribute to Bertie Old, and I've said to people that really knew him, um, I, I met him in passing a couple of times, spoke to him a few times, for uh, two two books, Ian, and um, I was helping Tom Campbell out for the foreword for his Bobby Evans biography, and Bertie gave me that. Uh, but I, I would always say that if Jinky was the, the the entertainer in terms of the most entertaining footballer, some say the greatest of herself, then surely Bertie Old was the greatest of her personality um, in, in terms of Celtic's history, and he must be up there. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, it was actually just tonight. You know how you get the algorithms on YouTube. I can't remember what it was on now, and it was a, it was a, a short of of Betty O telling that joke about the the Orange Order in the in the Catholic Church. <laughs> you know yeah. what? Sums yeah. it up. I remember like my my great grandparents are from Blantyre or Blantner for those neck of the woods, and they used to used to go to the a little place called the the, the Columbia Club at the bottom of the road, and quite often like Bertie and a lot of the Lisbon Lions. It shows you how how times have changed as well. That my my papa would come in because we'd get to stay up late because we've got visiting from England, you know, and they bring in the, the next day's newspaper and he'd tell us stories about some of the, the Celtic players that have been in the club that night, you know, and that's obviously I wasn't privy to the, sort of those kind of jokes then, you know, but it just reminds you of your of your, of your grandparents or people of that ilk. That's that, that kid, you know, we're one and the same. 
Um, and uh, yeah, his personality always shone through, you know. Um, I mean, what a player, you know. It's kind of like young, younger, the younger generation probably won't won't appreciate as much that what we saw, you know, or or latterly, um, especially what my parents saw and things like that. But what 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 a player as well as the personality. This is the thing. You think of him as a character, almost as a caricature, but what a player. He's a player that came back to Celtic, obviously having left earlier um, in Jimmy McGrory's time. And he went away and played in a European final for Birmingham City before coming back up the road and playing for a, uh, an, in another couple for Celtic as well. Just while you were talking there, let's welcome Lawrence Conley onto the show. Lawrence, it's been a wee bit nostalgic so far. Um, and then you come into the building. So we'll start talking more modern, because you're a modern gentleman, uh, obviously. You were already talking about uh, Bertie. Yes. So obviously we we don't like to talk about the 7-1 game, but he played every game in that uh, cup run up until the final. He did drop for the time. So almost played in uh, two huge games for Celtic. uh, Who replaced him, Lawrence? Who replaced him in the final? I'm not too sure. Will I tell you? Go for it, mate. Neely Mocking. Neely Mocking. The man you've done a documentary and a book about. That's the man. Yeah, he replaced him and um, he obviously scored in the the 7-1 game. And if you check the records, uh, I think he scored a couple, probably. He was a great goal scorer, Neely Mocking. Um, Yes, get your comments in. There's loads happening in the world of Celtic, even though it is the international break. And we have Jungle Lion, you are always very quick to comment. That's why Jungle Lion, Double Denim, Kevin Mullen are my first three commenters. So you guys are coming up first. That's the reason why. Not many teams, if any, have backed up a 6-0 defeat to a 6-0 win. So fair play. And I want to start off with that, Liam, because we do try and touch on it. Not an expert uh, by any manner of means, but the, the, the state of mind of a footballer mm. after you know the defeat on the Tuesday night over in Spain, you've got to then obviously travel back. Um, it must be so demoralising. And then you're looking at the fact that we have lost uh, one of our most effective players in Maeda through injury. Uh, obviously, was sent off, but it's the injury you worry about. You think, you know, six weeks out, another uh, top quality uh, winger, and he's going to be missing. So you come back, it's a bit doom and gloom. And you really are relying on people like Brendan Rodgers in the backroom team and some of the more, I would guess, uh, experienced players within the squad to try and lift the team to face Aberdeen at the weekend. And, you know, I don't think that can be underestimated, the mental aspect of that. Uh, Leon, I'm going to start with yourself on that one. Yeah, I mean, the, it's a, there was a there's a kind of a perfect storm of different things that I think kind of came together for us to, to, to get that 6-0 win at the weekend. Um, mm. First of all, you've got players hurting from midweek and get out I wouldn't say angry but but with a point to prove yeah right just to just to remind everybody look no matter what we do in the Champions League we're still the best in Scotland by quite some distance and then you've also got the injuries both before and during the game created opportunities for uh our two Korean boys um mm-hmm. Yang and and uh, Oh who both seized it and went on to have great contributions throughout the game um also a mention for Iwata I thought when he came on he played really well um so it was a mix of players who were demoralized from the Madrid game with a point to prove but then also I think other players who had been given an opportunity had a platform and seized it with both hands Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. Aberdeen just did not know how to compete with it because we just blew them away yeah, and, and there was that hunger, like you say, in the guys that maybe are sitting on the fringes at the moment. And you've mentioned two of them. You're wearing a, a jersey in homage to both of them. And by the way, that jersey's older than both of those players, uh, Liam. I was just checking <laughs> the dates of work. That jersey is older than both Yang and Owen. I'll start off with Yang, and we'll come back and speak about Kyogo, the decision, obviously, um, in relation to his injury and, and how horrifying that injury was, the impact of uh, Louis Palma, how did uh, Odin Thiago home play? What are we now thinking about the transfer window in the summer? I had a very good discussion yesterday with someone who knows a lot more about Celtic and football than I do, and he felt that um, I was being a bit harsh on the transfer window. Um, so, yeah, I want to open up that discussion. But another thing, here is Paddy Lavery. Afternoon to you, sir. Uh, it's always great to see you popping up in the comments section, and hopefully we will see you at some point soon. 
possibly at an Axrom live event in the future as well. Um, there is talk, obviously, of our Korean players, but along with that talk comes a bit of a concern from the underwater cabbage salesman talking about um, the length of time we may be without some of our players during the Asian Cup uh, tournament, January the 12th to February the 10th. So we need a striker solution. So we'll be looking ahead to January and what we need to do um, before we are confident that those players will go away on international duty. The Urban Culture, Doug's walked, coal fire lit and lunch is on the table. It's Axon time. That sounds absolutely brilliant. I've got a bottle of water to join you, the Urban Culture. And I'm going to share with you what I did this morning, right? A wee bit of an unusual morning because it's Book Week Scotland. I only know that because I've got a six-year-old boy who told me. And I was invited up to his school the day, Lawrence. Um, and I was to give a talk to primary fours and primary sevens on being a published author and how to do that. And it was great fun, although extremely nerve-wracking. But here's the thing. Here's the reason I'm telling you guys, right? Nobody in the classrooms heard the Kenny Dalgleish. Ian Conroy. I mean, I'm standing there thinking, right, what football team do you support? And I'm getting Man City. I'm getting Liverpool. And I'm standing there in Dunfermline wondering where this is going. I said, oh, Liverpool, brilliant. You'll have heard of a player called Kenny Dalgleish. And I got the blank look, Ian. They don't know who Kenny is. He's, he's skipping a generation here. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I can't be allowed, man. Um, apparently that was my first words. Kenny and Dalgleish and then carrots. So my dad did a good job, you know. Um, <laughs> in before mama and dada, apparently. I mean, I don't know how, how, uh, how audible or, or, or well, well said it was. But anyway... Kenny Dalgleish, you know, that was, I've got a soft spot for Liverpool, I've mentioned that before, and it was because of Kenny. How it, it blows my mind that people don't know, don't know who he is. Um, I remember years ago I was working in Dumfries, and there was um, some young girl had a, a cassette tape around her, as, a, as, a, as a pendant mm-hmm. around her neck, and someone says, oh, that's how we used to listen to music, and she had no idea what it was used for. And that was, that was probably about 20-odd years ago. She had no idea what the cassette tape was, so... Obviously, generations do create chasms, you know, in terms of, uh, yeah. of knowledge and things like that. But it beggars belief to think that a player like that wouldn't be known um, by, albeit six-year-olds, but still think Ken Dalglish, the name that, that name of Ken Dalglish would endure and, and reverberate in perpetuity. Yeah, you, you do expect it and, and almost take it for granted that it will. And by the way, I've got to say, it was one of the best experiences that I've enjoyed Um in terms of any kind of opportunity I've ever had from writing books that led to this podcast and everything else that I've been involved in. It was one of the most satisfying mornings I've ever had, speaking to young kids who are full of ambition and intelligence and spark and all that. But I did come away from it worrying, and I mentioned it yesterday, Liam, worrying that there could be a lost generation, lost to Scottish football I'm talking about here, you know, mm. uh, because I was hearing a lot of English teams and I'm thinking, you support that English team. And like what Phil Duffer said to you, do you get too many home games? Uh, and it's a bit of a worry, Liam, that our game isn't being branded properly. It's not being sold properly. But then that's what I think annoyed me yesterday. Uh, people were thinking I'm going on a bit of a rant yesterday. I'm sick of the fact that even our own uh, media, if you like, are just sticking the boot in as often as they possibly can when it comes to Scottish football and particularly when it comes to Celtic as well, Liam. 
Yeah, um, I would uh, I would encourage people if they've if they've got the time to go back and listen to our Celtic Down Under episode from yesterday because I had a similar sort of ten to fifteen minute rant about that um, about that that issue among other things. And basically, what I said was that um, I'll use I'll use a popular cultural example. Another thing the kids won't get right. If anybody remembers the film RoboCop, right? Oh yes, nineteen eighty seven. Absolute masterpiece, right? I was watching the Blu-ray of that the other night, and I came to the conclusion, VAR is the Ed 209 of Scottish football. <laughs> it's the latest technology. It's yep. brilliant. Who cares if it works or not? That's VAR. That's, you know. Um, but to, to, to go back to your point, um, the main problem is that Scottish football fans are treated as a disposable commodity when mm-hmm. every other entertainment industry, and people forget football is supposed to be an entertainment industry, you are treated as a customer. You know, I've talked about that before in Japan. When you go to games over here, it's, you know, there's a variety of food options. Yeah. If it's a cold day, you have people handing out like raincoats or blankets. To, to people, you have, um, you know, you you can have a beer. You can imagine them wanting you to enjoy your experience, Liam. I know, I know. Um, and not, not, but like, I mean, I, I heard, I heard third hand, admittedly, about what happened at Easter Road a couple of weeks ago. And yeah. like, seriously, see if that happened over here, there would be ructions. The, the JFA board would be fired on mass. That just would not fly. Because Japan is a professional organization when it comes to football. And they've taken a product from nothing. I mean, remember, the, the J League only started 30 years ago. Yeah. And yet, it's now, it is the biggest league in Asia. And it is also a very, very marketable product. And as we can see, it produces really good players as well. Mm. But it's because fans initially were attracted to the curiosity of, oh, let's go and see Zico, let's go and see Gary Lineker, let's go and see Pierre Litbarski. They stayed because they liked the experience at the stadium. Now, I've got two, I've got two young nieces who have both been to see Celtic, and, you know, they, they like going to see Celtic, but they, they say things like, you know, it's cold, and the food's not very good, and... It's, you know, why are all these security around us when we're just trying to watch a game of football? You know, if 11 and 12-year-olds are getting that feeling from going to the football, I don't blame them if they'd rather just stay at home and watch Liverpool and Man United. I really don't. I see complaints coming in regularly from uh, disabled supporters who have brought up with the club time and time again the fact that Stewart's basically um, disrupt their view near the end, and I say near the end, I'm talking 10, 15 minutes before the end of every single game, and they take pictures and they upload them to social media to try and share their, um, you know, their lack of satisfaction, uh, just with the experience, Liam, that you're talking about, and, you know, on a much smaller scale, when you try and do something that is appealing to a a demographic or a, a clutch of football fans, and you're trying to sell them tickets for an event, then what you want to do is you want to make that experience um, as positive as possible. And that's why, in, in many, many ways, and it's not to try and punt tickets, but in 2024, the way Axon does their live events is going to change. Um, it's going to change in terms of the environment in which we do the events um, and also the experience itself. Because once somebody's bought that ticket, you want to look after them. You want to build a community in person. We do it on a daily basis here uh, remotely. Um, and uh, obviously on the socials, etc. And you want to meet these people who are bought into what it is we are doing here at Axon. And I think football takes fans for granted so often. Uh, Lawrence, I know that uh, Lawrence's dog, Marley, has been getting in on the action today and Lawrence has disappeared once or twice. But that's fine because Marley is welcome. And you've already uh, referred to the fact, Lawrence, that Marley is not actually named after Celtic fan Bob, Robert Nesta. Um, but he is welcome on the show. Lawrence, does it concern you that the way that uh, fans are kind of mistreated, taken for granted? And by the way, Celtic are in, in that equation as well. They're part of this discussion, Lawrence. Well, listen, I, I mean, I don't think it's fans as a whole that's taken for granted. See if you've got enough money. 
You sit corporate seats. You're not taking for granted. So if you want to jump to the top of the list for cup final and semi-final tickets, you've got the money. You're not taking for granted. It's working class fans that are taking for granted. You know, it's not fans in general. It's like, well, you're the lifeblood of the game. You're the working class fan. Don't care. You know, simply don't care. You know, you know, give us your season book money. Cheers. We'll email you this time next year. Thanks very much. Yeah, away tickets, no chance. You know, cup final tickets, join the queue. Yeah, and don't ask questions, Lawrence. I was no. I was hearing yesterday that uh, some of the some of our takes on certain aspects of the club um, are not being received that well. Um, and and by the way. You know, for me, it's a double-edged sword because on the one hand, um, I'm looking at some of the headlines in the Scottish press. Ian, I don't know if you've been catching up with some of this uh, stuff in, in relation to some of the, the subjects yesterday we spoke about were the uh, the poor um, officiating of Scottish football insofar as it's now an absolute joke um, that a team can go that length of games, that length of time without conceding a penalty. Um, and also basically get one or two every game virtually. That's how it feels. I know it's not quite that. And then someone getting into the narrative gymnastics of trying to <laughs> convince the nation that that's not the case. They just get the same treatment as everybody else. And I'm looking at these platforms thinking to myself, you've been briefed. You've been briefed by a football club to put out positive spin on this, just like they were with the accounts. It's pathetic. And so you've got that on one hand, and then you've got, on the other hand, our own club saying, well, you know what, we don't mind you doing these streams as long as you're supportive of every single decision we make. We're in a situation, Ian, where there's two non-executive directors at Celtic Football Club with a combined service of 40 years. What are they bringing to the table? Creativity? No. Diversity of thought? No. 40 years combined service. That's not healthy, is it? Cronyism? Aye. There's a... Um, there's a, a, a political group that is quite good at that as well. So most most political groups are, but there's a particular one in uh, the UK that's known for its cronyism. Um, maybe not too dissimilar to our, our board. Um, and green isn't their colour, so it's 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 a shame. Aye, it's a shame. I noticed that um, Mr. Tav, in our tap, good old Tav, is taking over the mantle from Penalty King. Whoever I can't remember his name, but it was another Penalty King from what club? Charlton Athletic. No, Dover Athletic, no, from Old Rangers. So, <laughs> he um, that seven one game, Johnny Hubbard. Did he? Yeah. Did he get a penalty in the game? Was that a penalty? <laughs> Absolutely. It's, it's no, it's, it is. We are, what are we all here for? You know, just to be just to be part of the crony, the crony brigade, you know, and, and not comment. You know, we're fans. You know, we do this for the love of it, you know, because we love the team, you know, and. If I was back home now, I'd be one of those people with a season book going, you know, and, and being ignored and not and not appreciated. Um, it's, it's it's not good enough, really, you know. But we'll still keep going, you know. We'll still keep doing it and paying the money, and we'll still keep supporting and being vocal on the terraces and doing our thing and buying buying replica jerseys and you know the, you know three or four a season that's coming out and they're changing it changing every season. Yeah. You know, people can ill afford this kind of stuff, you know. But you know, it's that peer pressure that children are subject to a lot of this, all this kind of stuff that feeds in. That's not that's not the act of a, of a club that cares. Um, and this is not just reflective of Celtic, this is reflective of modern football, but it's, it's, it's you think a, a, a club like Celtic would actually t- make a stand in certain areas and, and, and do better and set, set a stand and set an example rather than just fall in with the, the general consensus and narrative, but alas yeah. not. Yeah, you're right. It's like the, the plastic face. And, and for me, when the dissatisfaction gets to a point, Liam, often what you'll find is groups of fans start to come together as communities. And uh, what was born from that was the ultra uh, group. Obviously, the movement happened prior to uh, Celtic having ultra group spot. Uh, over time, we have developed a, a group called the Green Brigade who are still you know, at odds with the club, Liam. And, you know, we've dedicated entire shows to this this subject and, you know, a few weeks on, it hasn't, it, for me, it hasn't got any better. And people were commenting on the fact that it was a brilliant display and we'll get to that and the individual performances that uh, 
assisted us in getting a 6 nothing win over Aberdeen. But the atmosphere itself was definitely lacking, uh, Liam. And, and by the way, I, I read a point this morning, which I do agree with. It takes a while for everything to calibrate um, and for that natural ability for fans to get back to the stage where they're not relying on the Green Brigade to do all the singing and all this kind of stuff. Totally get it. Um, mm-hmm. It's not going to happen at the flick of a switch. But they were missed. If you're just going to be speaking about atmosphere, Liam, they were missed at the weekend. Of course they were. Um, it, you know, you could hear a lot more than you normally would in terms of players and management shouting and screaming at each other. Um, do you think there is going to be any kind of coming together? Because with each passing week that I ask this question to you guys, it seems less likely. Right. Okay, get the tape recorder out because this is the quote that gets me banned for Celtic, right? Um, This can all, everything, the Green Brigade, the referees, Celtic's lack of progress in Europe, it all stems from one problem at boardroom level. And that is that we are content with mediocrity. As long as we beat Rangers every season and we get into the Champions League and get that money, the board do not care about anything beyond that. That is the basic fact. And the Green Brigade, whether you agree with them or not, um, they should not have been removed the way they have been. The club should be communicating with them, but they have no interest in doing so because it's not commercially beneficial for them to do so. And unfortunately, we live in a scenario right now where... uh, I mean, one bit of good news, the Home Secretary got fired yesterday for trying to incite terrorism, but that's, you know. Um, but people like her were making, you know, public statements that people like the Green Brigade were basically on the same level as terrorists because of some of the, some of the flags they were carrying, right? And the club did nothing to, to counter that, right? I'm not going to take a side in the whole Israel-Palestine thing because... Frankly, I've got friends that are caught up in both sides of it. But flying a flag should not in any way ever be considered a terrorist offence. But that was that was levelled at Celtic. We were called, the supporters were called anti-Semitic. Club said nothing. Because for the simple reason, it was not commercially beneficial to do anything about it. And Lawrence touched on it because the majority of people who got hurt by that are working class fans and working class fans don't matter. Working class fans can't afford to buy four kits a season. Working class fans can't afford to go to every European game home and away. Working class fans cannot afford to pay for whatever overpriced night out Celtic are trying to flog this month. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply you know um I think, dare I say it, I think they might have a wee bit of an issue with you, Paul John, because you actually put out nights out that, that ordinary supporters can afford. And you have a better calibre of guests than the official events usually do. Um, they do have an issue. I think they do have an issue with that, to be honest with yeah. you, uh, Liam. Yeah. But you're right. And this commercialism, you get it. You know that it needs, it needs to be a major focus of any football team the size of Celtic. But not to the point, like Liam um, explains there, Lawrence, where you lose sight of what is the most important uh, tenet of this football club, and that's the fan base. Where are you with this, uh, Lawrence? Because when Liam talks about uh, being content with mediocrity, uh, mediocrity indeed could well be dominating Scottish football because you are up against clubs that that don't have the same kind of finance that we have, Lawrence. And unless you make a big pig's ear of it, you more than likely will be in the running or will win the league, right? So mediocrity being just being in the Champions League. As a Celtic fan, Lawrence, are you satisfied with that? Just being there, just being the tourist that that gets the six games, gets your big bounty and then goes back to domestic football. Does that satisfy you, Lawrence? Because obviously 
I've made my, my kind of feelings clear on it. I, I want us to be more ambitious, um, although I am realistic. Are you satisfied with that, Lawrence? I guess, but, you know, it's quite happy to be measured against. Are you happy to be measured against the Rangers? Are you happy to be measured against AC Milan, Ajax, Rotterdam, Juventus? Where do you want to be measured? For me, it's in Europe. You know, I think the 1890s, the Celtic board were pushing for the European League way, way back then. And it was only because of travelling times that it didn't go ahead. You know, the, the people that set up this club, they, they had great vision back then. And it seems to have, the vision and ambition seem to have deserted us. Liam said, you know, they're happy. You know, we're in the Champions League, we hear the music. People with money can go to away games. But I mean, we all get a jolly. But as a result, it doesn't matter. I had a good night out, staying in a good hotel. It's not progress. Ah, but what we can do gets better. We can attract some young guys over, say they'll play the Champions League, then we'll punt them for money, we'll have a huge bank balance. Doesn't really mean anything having 72 million in the bank, whatever it is, does it? <laughs> you know, it's what could sit in the bank. Now, what are we going to do with it? We're not going to buy players and make the team better. What are we doing with it? You know, it's a long time since I've spoke, spoke about the hotel, the museum. Jeez, even the Rangers have got a museum now. Don't know what's in it, but, you know, must be a fairly modern museum. Old Rangers. But, <laughs> I, know, I believe there's a bike, you know, but, uh, you know, what's No, no, she, she doesn't happens. work for Rangers TV anymore. <laughs> having, a, having a bike and a cup and all this kind of stuff, yeah, it's all a bit tragic. Celtic mm. have got a, a tradition, a history, a fabric of the club that has to be celebrated. I mean, I see it every single week. Sean, your videographer, on a Monday when I do a wonder in paradise, has probably sicked his back teeth in me saying it. You walk around that stadium um, and there's so much scope to do so much more. But, Lawrence, I, I agree with that. I think that, you know, my big concern, I do get worried. I mean, today was a phenomenal morning. I was blessed to be in the presence of a future generation who were full of life and spark. And it was great to see. And the only thing that bothers me about the next generation is the fact that, you know, I, I would hate to think that Celtic or Scottish football would skip a generation. Um, Ian, you know, we, we hear people saying that, uh, obviously, you can change your name, you can change a political party, your wife, just about anything, you can't change a football team. Does it ever worry you? I mean, you see it from the other side of the world, does it ever worry you that this thing called Celtic uh, might suffer from that in the modern game? You should say, you, should, you missed out there, you know, you, you can't change your football team unless you're Sean Connery. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I've got a great clip actually, Sean Connery um, at Celtic Park and he was interviewed for the Celtic Collection, which was a VHS video diary back then, forward-thinking club we were, dealing with multimedia things like big plastic VHS tapes. And they interviewed Sean Connery, Ian, and he, at that time, was a fully-fledged Celtic fan. Fast forward something like two or three years. What was the story? Liam, you might know this. Was, was this down to the fact that Fergus was, like, contacted by Sean Connery, who would contact Celtic whenever he fancied coming to a game and getting all the prawn sandwich kind of treatment? And he contacted Fergus and he was faced with a completely different response. <laughs> yes, you can have two tickets, Sean, but you'll be paying for them. And then he's phoned David Murray across the road and ended up at Ibrox with a Rangers tie-on. Was it as simple as that? No, it's, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Fergus was quite a firebrand. He, he, if anyone's going to tell Sean Connery to do one, it wouldn't have been Fergus. But I, I don't know that that's true. What I do know is that him and David Murray had a friendship that predated Murray's involvement with Rangers. So, you know, Sean Connery, I don't think, was particularly a football man. Um, I don't think he really bothered either way. In the 70s, again, it would have been, how should we say it? Um, it would have been more expedient for his popularity to be yeah. with Celtic. Mm -hmm. In the 90s, it would probably have been more commercially expedient to have been seen with Rangers. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there's that classic only excuse sketch we go back to with you know, Sean Connery saying, "What's my greatest acting performance? Keeping the smile off my face at the Juventus Rangers match." You know, <laughs> Juventus well, number four one. 
Uh, what I'm going to do, Liam, is uh, we actually reviewed that Celtic tape, that video, and I'm pretty sure we used that clip of Sean Connery. I'm going to I'm going to clip it and stick it on the uh, actual socials just so you can see mm-hmm. him lying through his teeth about being a Celtic fan. But no, you're right, Ian. There's been a couple down the years. Um, actually, I've interviewed Pat Nevin um, in the past as well, and I like uh, the fact that he was kind of one of the guys that was in the the group alongside Brian McClare, John Calhoun, who had a, you know, he always had something to say in terms of politics and music. He was a DJ, you know, when he when he played for Everton and they were playing one of the Manchester sides, he would always stay that night and go to the Hacienda. He was best mates with John Peel. He was a, a different type of guy. But then, of course, he changed allegiance and he started supporting Hibs. He, he didn't attribute that to the fact that he didn't like the way he had around about him. He did. Uh, he did say that. Did. Yeah, and it was like, well, I, no, I wasn't. I wasn't privy to what what went on around Pat Nevin and his and his his children or his child that he that he took exception to. But the thing that rankled with me a little bit, and we can't go into individual sort of instances, but it was like it was kind of he went along that narrative of the two 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 cheeks of the same backside, you know, which a lot of people do, and that's just simply not true. And you know, I've been. To, Games involving Rangers, um, and I've I've known people that've been been to games as neutrals, and some people who are actually Rangers fans, and it's like there's a there's a toxicity at that ground and other grounds, at British grounds, namely Chelsea as well. I've heard the same kind of stories, Birmingham City. Um, anyway, there's a toxicity that I'd, I've never ever experienced at Celtic. You know, there's idiots everywhere, and people say things, especially after alcohol's been taken, things like that. But um, I is a different a different level. So yeah, we lost Pat, Pat the DJ, you know, to uh, to the heavies. Um I, any any I don't know I know Sean Connery, I, I don't know uh, Pat Nevin, who else? Anyone that we enlighten us think of any. Let us know in the comments. Was there anybody else who defected to the dark side? Um and by the way, if you lose Pat Nevin the DJ, it's fine because we've still got Bobby Petter. Bobby Petter likes doing a wee bit of the DJing. Um, we've got Double Denim. There we are. Hi, all. I think the result of the... What was that? Not a Celtic fan. Jota's mate that turned him down the brazen head, the boy McVicker. Is he not a Celtic fan, the DJ? I'm thinking he's a St Mirren fan. Are you thinking? I, I think he is. He's definitely worked with St Mirren for some of the promo materials for their, their jerseys. I believe he is. He's a St Mirren fan, as you and McVicker. He, he just yeah. goes to the brazen. Maybe, aye. Just for the chins. Andrew, Andrew Weatherall was a Celtic man, wasn't he? Andrew Weatherall, that would not surprise me. Yeah, Ian, that would not surprise me in the slightest. Um, but yes, there you go. Anybody else, let us know in the comments section. Double denim. Hi, all. Uh, I think it was Michelle Moan. i seen that picture recently. Michelle Moan with Charlie <laughs> Mulgrew. No, it wasn't Charlie. It was uh, Gary Hooper. And, he, and they were modelling something and, and she was there and I'm pretty sure she modelled the kit back in the day as well uh, yep. with Carol Smiley. Uh, I don't think uh, Michelle Moan's a Celtic fan. Uh, here we go, double denim. Hi all, I think the result of the weekend demonstrated that we are in good shape domestically. I think we need to be realistic on Europe. We need sustained investment to compete, not just one window, mm. says double denim. Let's talk about the, the two guys then that we started off the conversation with before we started talking about Michelle Moan, Pat Nevin and Sean Connery. God knows how we got into that discussion, but that's just the way it goes. <laughs> uh, Liam, I want to start with Yang, because Yang, mm. for me, came in and made a, an early impression on me. I think that you were looking at the trickery of him, um, Aberdeen away, Patojo, where he sets up that third goal for Matt O'Reilly. And then... He looked a bit spooked in some of the games, um, Motherwell particularly away from home, where you know it looked as though the fans were, the Motherwell fans this was, were, were getting on top of him and it affected him. But then he started coming back into it for me against St Mirren when he came on as a sub, made a good impact. But at the weekend, that was his best game for me in the hoops. I thought he looked like a more rounded player. And Brennan Rogers spoke about that after the game as well. Uh, Liam, and it takes you back to the transfer window and you think, all right, so we've got Palmer, we might also have Yang, we might have Holm, Naroki might be a player, we don't know, we've only seen him a couple of times, and then you could then say that transfer window has resulted in three or four players who could make a positive impact in this team. Mm. The the thing with Yang is um, I would draw a direct parallel with Lee Labada's first sort of six months at Celtic. Funnily enough, because, I mean, they both play the same position, but there's also the fact that 
Abada came in initially, looked good. Um, so did Yang. Had a European game where he had a bit of a rabbit in the headlights moment. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it took a while to recover from that, but then grew into it and became a class player and a guy that we have no hesitation of throwing into the first team when fit. And I think Yang is headed in that trajectory as well. I think it's... um. I mean, you've got to remember, wingers in particular, and this, this goes back years and years and years, wingers are notoriously inconsistent just because of the, the, the style of their play. Sometimes the trickery, the, the, it just doesn't come off for them. And a winger can run his guts out, but it just it's not going to happen for him that day. But with Yang, I, I think there's a, there's a maturity in the performance at the weekend. There was much better communication um, I don't know if it's as simple as the fact that he's maybe learned a bit more English or, you know, that, that he's developed a better understanding in training, which I think is more likely, of what the other players expect of him and what he can expect from them. Um, he just seemed much more comfortable. And the goal was 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 great psychologically, but more important, I think the, the all-round performance was excellent. Yeah. And I would say the same for O when he came on as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, without a doubt. And, you know, we're now in a situation where at the beginning of the season, if you were to be told that not only are we going to lose Jota, um, that through injury you're also going to lose Maeda and Abada, you would think, wow, panic stations. But that's where we are. And mm. currently we are playing, obviously, with Yang on one wing and Palma on the other wing, Lawrence. And it looks as though certainly with Palma we've found a new hero. But with Yang, we may well have unearthed a wee gem from the team which is being sported uh, this afternoon by Liam Carrigan. Uh, South Korea being his um, nationality, obviously. He came in as a player of some calibre, being the Young Player of the Year. His countryman, Kwon, didn't really have that same uh, level. I don't think he was coming from the the second tier. And, of course, O, who came to the club first, we know all about him last season, but he seemed to be having a tricky time of it this campaign. But he's got through that as well, Lawrence, and he is reminding us that he can compete and he can be a, a guy that at the moment is a is a, a very good backup, uh, but might well develop into someone who can get more game time. How impressed were you with Yang? Before we get to, to Palma, who I just think is different gravy, how impressed were you with, with Yang? And uh, is he changed your mind or were you already on that kind of bus, that train of thought, Lawrence? I'll tell you what, I mean, the three players, that's exactly a problem, isn't it? You know, we're in November, they're settling in, they've got potential. Europe's done. You know, we, we need to spend and bring in players of quality that have an immediate impact, which is what we don't do. We do it season and season ago, you know what, we're three or four months in, Europe's done. That boy looks like he could be a player. And no doubt they could, some of them going to become players. But that's exactly the problem. It's every year we bring in boys that could be a player. They'll settle in four months, Europe's done. Don't worry, they both got their jollies away, you know, we made the group stage happy. Happy days. At least we didn't lose every game in the group stage. But it's a problem, mate. It's a huge problem for us that that's an ambition. You know, we'll we'll pick up players and they might make it, they might not. We need to bring in some quality that's from the off, that's making a contribution to the team, that's doing something for us in Europe. As an Abbey Lyco, I think he's got a huge future. future. I think he'll be a great striker. Palmer's definitely turning it on. You know, Jan's better now than he was at the beginning of the season. There is another Champions League campaign opportunity missed. And a lot of it's down to the, you know, that exact signing policy. Bringing players yeah. that might make it. You know, they're young, we know it's going to take them longer to settle. It'll take them a while to make an impact, but don't worry. You know, buy the three match package, see what season but the renewal, same again next year, boys. You're right. There's it's staggered. It's staggered, Lawrence. And when that happens, Ian, if you've brought in nine players in the summer. And we eventually get four out of the nine. By the way, I don't think that's a great hit record, but if we get four out of the nine, it's not happening instantly because of the type of players that we're bringing in. Once they do start settling, they might be big players for us next season, but by that time, you're facing that Starfelt, Jota, Moy, Yakamaka, Zhiranovic challenge and that they've already come to the end of their cycle. So it does seem as though it's staggered at the moment, Ian, and if we're signing players in January... Not only are we signing them to bolster us for the rest of the domestic campaign, but you should also be looking, like Lauren said, you should be looking at players that can make an impact 
in the next campaign in Europe. Do you think that we're going to we're going to be doing that? Because it just feels to me that a lot of the guys that have come in, we're going to have to persevere with them. There's going to have to be that development time. And eventually, if you're going to develop a player, Brennan Rodgers is the guy to do it. But I think this January, and it's not just for this season, we need to go in and buy players who are going to make an instant impact. But then the board will try and say, well, you know, to win the league, do we really need that? But it shouldn't just be for winning the league. It should be with a view to the next campaign in Europe next season. Yeah, you look look at Manchester United. You know, they just had an investment from Jim Ratcliffe. Looks like he's taken over, if you read by all accounts, he's taken over the football operations for his slice of investment. It was at 1.25 billion or whatever. So, you know, I know the Glazers have, 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 have met with a lot of um, frustration. This is not a Manchester United podcast, so I'll be brief, but it's it's pertinent to the point, really. You know, our board, um, there's no one in there, it's an echo chamber, there's no one in there to, to, to go in with, with new ideas, no one to speak for us fans. You know, you said earlier on, you know, that the, 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 the club weren't very happy with some of the things that happened that said on here you know, with, with this medium because it's the same things that we think and feel as, as we're fans, right? So, again, I said, we say it all the time, it's that money ball effect. Who's going to, we need some injection of fresh idea, that like you said, idea, uh, thoughts, vigour, verve. To come in and, and say, look, there's a, it's tr- that we, we need to try a different way or marry a different way. Brendan Rodgers should be that man, you know, and, and unless he's another yes man, and I don't think he is, he needs to, he needs to, he needs to make that that, that change, you know. He has to, he has to demand that change, um, and you know, sure, sure, you know, work with the players and and, and raise their profile, raise their raise their performance levels, mm-hmm. so we can perhaps sell them on. But again, that feeds into this perpetual. Mediocrity. We're, we're never, we can never build legacy. We can never build a, 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 a sustainable model of a team that's going to progress in Europe because we're always got one eye on selling them, you know, to the highest bidder. And you can never, no matter how how good the, your, your your scouting system is, you can never guarantee you're going to replace like for like, you know. So we've we've won watches galore with with the J- Japanese boys generally, and the, and the, and to a degree the Korean boys. That's not going to keep happening, you know. And it's it's no matter what that law of averages will tell us that that, that won't happen. So it needs to be. We need to be buying quality as well. And it, and that and how do, how do we sort of measure that? It's got to be to, to the best of our ability, tried and tested in in a, in a league that's we, we know. You know, we did it before with Martin O'Neill when he went out and demanded the funds to do it. You know, and obviously he had, a, he had his remit was to, to overtake. A dominant Rangers at the time who were spending money they didn't have with at the time, but you know he 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 went and identified players that had been there and done it in the English Premier League, and boy did they work! You know he married them with the players we already had there, got better out, better performances out of those players. But we, you're right, Lawrence. It's just the same same old stuff every year, and we we yeah. you know we we get we get humped out of Europe, and then we just we just settle for that cycle. It's more of the same, please. More of the same. You know, we've we've got short memories as fans as well. You know, it's like you know, that's it. We go on to the next Rangers game. We beat that, beat them. So, oh, you know, it's you know, we get we get caught up in that again. You know, until next season, we do, we do. And and by the way, I'm as guilty as anybody because all you need to do is have a look at uh, the kind of post-European uh, actual bulletins. How often do we hark on about Europe? Well, there's two reasons probably for that. If you were to do it, there'd be loads of comments saying, what are you talking about Europe for? We've got a game on Sunday. You know, so you would get that side of it. But your focus does tend to go straight into what's happening next. You mentioned Martin O'Neill's team. I love the story, actually. And I've heard it from both Chris Sutton and Alan Thompson. FA Cup Final 2000, Aston Villa versus Chelsea. Both of those players were big money signings for the, the respective clubs. And both of them were unused in uh, the respective squads that day after the game. Uh, Chelsea win one nothing. Liam, I think. one nothing. Mm. they win. Who scored the goal? Yeah. Was it Zola? Maybe? I I'd need think to it might have been, yeah. 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 So one of the forgettable FA Cup games, Chelsea win the game. After the game in the lounge, Sutty and Tomo are both looking at each other going, where did it all go wrong, pal? A few months <laughs> later, they're both at Celtic and the rest, as they say, is history. That was a complete sea change. Um, mm. And... You know, I've had some great times as a Celtic fan, but I always go back to the Martin O'Neill era. I loved 
his era. I loved hearing him yesterday with a wee bit of fire in his belly talking to Jim White. Did you see that, Liam? Talking I did, about the, I... the guys that thought, I loved that. It was brilliant. Yeah. Um, and, and the thing with, with Martin O'Neill is he has done a couple of gigs with us uh, in the past. But I'm going to say this because it goes back to your point, Liam. Mm. Doing live events, yes, obviously they need to work. They need to work financially because there's so much work goes into them. But at the same time, we do try and keep them as affordable as possible. So the gig with Martin O'Neill and Greenock is 20 quid a ticket. And at the moment, this is the exact figures, I'm just looking at them. We've sold 417 or 500 tickets for that gig. And it's in two months' time. Yes, two months' time. So it's going to sell out by the end of November. If you want to come along and be part of that night in Greenock, it's a beautiful venue. The ticket link is underneath the video. Um, when we talk about ambition, uh, Liam, obviously people are saying, okay, but we've not fully discussed the Aberdeen game, so I totally get it. Mm. We have spoken about Yang. We've spoken uh, about O slightly. I want to spend a bit of time talking about Palmer. Mm. I've seen a lot of people now. Uh, yesterday there was a few a few comments coming up saying, right, it's time, it's time for us to compare Palmer stats to Jota stats. We know what Jota became. We know that. Mm. But it's talking about where, where Palmer is in his own progression. It's like what you were doing there with, with Yang and, and Abada there, Liam. Mm. Um, how highly do you rate him? That's the best I've seen him. I mean, he's given us flashes. Brendan Rogers spoke about the fact he's adding variety to his game. He's not just always cutting inside. We saw that with his assists. The one with outside of the boot was absolutely phenomenal to watch. Wouldn't tire of watching that. The, the best thing Celtic media team does is a unique angle because you see things like that and it's just it's beautiful to watch from these angles. The guy yeah. with the camera is obviously in front of the steward, uh, so he gets to see the game. But <laughs> Palmer, Palmer has been, for me, he's a nugget. He's a nugget amongst the rough, isn't he? He's been absolutely yeah. superb. And he showed us, not just domestically, but Champions League level, he could be a, a right player for us. And, you know, it's maybe wrong to compare them, but we're football fans. That's what we do. We compare players to ex-players, don't we? Well, I mean, I, I said on, on Celtic Down Under yesterday, and I'll repeat it for the, the wider audience, um, the last time I was as excited about a Celtic number seven was was Paddy Roberts. That's that's how good I think Palma is. The last Celtic number seven that initially excited me as much as he has in these first few games was Roberts. Now, unfortunately, things went south for him, literally, when he went south. Um, but, uh, you know, Palma has everything. He's got he's got power. He's got the, the dead ball ability. Finally, we've got a penalty kick taker. Oh, I know. Um, I know. And uh, you know that the uh, like you say his crossing ability, the way he picks out, um, picks it particularly that that first goal with that, that outside of the boot is just it's a thing of beauty. Yes. Um, and yeah, I really really think he is going to become an absolute star. And I, right, I'll say it now go ahead and clip this and come back at me in nine months, whatever. I think in a year's time, he will have surpassed Jota. I think we'll be like more, that. we Old. will be demanding more than 25 million next summer if somebody comes in for Palma. I'll say it right now. I like that. Lawrence, uh, Liam has just said clip this and uh, review it in six months' time. Which player are you glad that Axon didn't exist when you watched because you fancied him at the time and he turned into an absolute flop? Are you going to admit anybody that you, you like the look of and it didn't quite work out and you're glad that it's not been caught on tape? Two players when we signed them, right, but before they actually pulled the hoops on, but when they signed them, I thought, well, let's be up to Liverpool, he'll be good. Another one, Tony Casco, you know, look at the amount of goals that boy scores. <laughs> Did you fancy yeah. Big Tony, did you? Yeah, well, we scored goals everywhere. We went up until, well, we did score against Rangers, the, the original Rangers, but uh, yeah, you know, we scored goals everywhere. And, and I, even after he, he left us, you know, he didn't he, you know? Did. So, yeah, but when I signed him, I thought, yeah, they make a difference. Even Janino, I thought, you know, yeah, I know. Best, but could be offered Rivaldo that trial rather than just signing the former World Player of the Year. Well, not too sure. Are you the real revolver? You know, we need to come and try. The funny thing was, Lawrence, we, we did speak to Martin O'Neill. You were there. We spoke to Martin O'Neill about that Rivaldo story, Ian, and, uh, you know, some of the other guys, because we had a lot of guys on trial when... when he, Martin O'Neill liked to get them on trial. <laughs> and he wanted to play Rivaldo. Rivaldo is a trialist. 
Right, okay. So I love the idea of Adela Pena and Danny signing for Celtic. There's pictures of them playing in games against Livingston and Dundee, right, for the B team, the reserve team as it was back then. And uh, I asked Martin about they two, and he couldn't remember those two. <laughs> he couldn't yeah. remember Della Pena and Danny. Now, Danny didn't go on to do anything after the, the trial games. In fact, the trial games were the last games of football that he played, believe it or not. Um, mm-hmm. Della Pena went on to to continually. Um, I, I think he did. He not win a, I think he won a cup over in Spain after his trial with Celtic. He went on uh, Little Buddha, I think they called him, didn't they? But yeah, the the, the Rivaldo one was phenomenal. Gary Gillespie, I'll, I'll say this, Lawrence. You know, I'm pinning that down to injuries because I remember being at his debut against Falkirk. And we beat him 4-1 at Celtic Park. And he was outstanding. Now people are saying Falkirk, whatever. He was brilliant that day. He was absolutely elegant. Uh, he was the, he was a modern defender playing back then, you know, playing the ball out from the back. None, none of this John Smith stuff, toe through the ball, laces through the ball. Always found a man. He scored that day. He rounded the goalie. I think it was Tony Parks who was in goals. Maybe Ian Westwater. And he scores the goal 4-1. But yes, um, any that you would like to admit, Ian, that you thought were going to be a player for Celtic, turned out they weren't. I thought Yarosik was going to be better than he was. Um, Olivia Capo. Yeah. I always liked, liked him when he was at Birmingham. He looked like a, a class act as well, you know. Um, so many, I'll probably remember them all after we, after we stopped. Um, Freddie Lumber was kind of past it, wasn't he? But um, Actually, and I'm, I'll probably get shot down in flames here, but um, Boricter's first uh, first game against before he went off injured against Kilmarnock he looked good he looked like a, a, a good player you know better than good um, and for whatever reasons fate conspired against him and he ended up just being being uh, the epitome of a <laughs> being rotten <laughs> being absolutely rotten I'm going to make an admission here because we've heard the names of Gary Gillespie Tony Cascarino and Dirk Boricter so I, I probably can't top them anyway but I'm going to try I thought, Liam, that Mo Bangura was going to be a player, but I'm going to blame Henrik Larson for that because Larson was uh, waxing lyrical about him and he was garbage as well to the point where recently at one of our events, Charlie Mulgrew doubted if he was a footballer. He was that bad in training. Liam, <laughs> well, Liam throw, us some, throw us some names. Right, well, I'm, go- I'm going to actually going to throw a couple of goalkeepers at you um, because there were two goalkeepers that we signed from England who had very good records and came to Celtic and did absolutely nothing. Uh, Dimitri Karin and Magnus Hedman. Hedman Those were yeah. two international class goalkeepers, played in World Cups, played in Euro Championships, um, came to Celtic and basically didn't do anything. Um, so, you know, goal, goalkeeper's bias here, but yeah, th- those are two that stick out for me. I think uh, you're right about the, the goalie because people often go back to Big Rab Douglas, who mm. I would never say in front of him because he's a giant and his hands are like shovels. <laughs> but people say, oh, you know, well, we would have been a better side with a decent goalie. But we did go through a few goalies. Big Hedman, um, w- well paid as well at the time for Celtic. And Brotto. Uh, Brotto was yeah. a, a decent goalie, but I think he, he moaned and that was never going to work. And I think we've seen a wee bit of that yesterday when Mark Lanier was talking about players. He said, you know, <laughs> these guys are, are playing non-league football. Um, D. Raff comes in to say, nah, dear Chiefji, thought he could do a job. So mm. did Pierre Van Hoydonk, who was his agent at the time. Stevie <laughs> Kenny, Martin Hayes. Great yeah. pedigree, but brutal. Yeah, because if you look at what Hayes was doing for Arsenal, uh, was he not the top goal scorer a season or two before he signs for Celtic? Signs for us, he was the guy that was locked in the car at Barrafield, Lawrence, and nobody noticed that he, he wasn't at training. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a signing he was, eh? He didn't get a game. He was 650 grand. He played a few games at the beginning of that season. He was the guy, it was a triple signing. It was him, John Collins, and Charlie Nicholas. So it was the return of the prodigal child with Charlie. It was John Collins, one of the best most elegant footballers in Scottish football at the time. And this guy for 650 grand from Arsenal, you're looking at transfer windows thinking, oh, that's brilliant. Uh, but it didn't really work out like that. Um, and yeah, Ibu Kuasi looked decent as well, mm. says Ridiculizer. He got a terrible injury against Hearts, didn't he, and played on with it. And I don't mm. think that done his, uh, his chances any good. And, and, and B is pulling the names up now. Jeremy Aladier, remember him as oh. well? Yeah, came in for a 
a loan deal and was quickly shipped back to where he came. Yes, absolutely brilliant. Whatever happened to Raphael, he became a very rich man, Steve, with one Brazil cap, which uh, was given to him by someone who was later jailed. Right, so we were caught up in all that nonsense. <laughs> Today's show has been a bit random, but I have enjoyed it. Thanks, everybody, for getting involved. If you want to come along and see us in person, then please do that. We're, uh, we're at Gracie's next month with Big Johan Mialbe. And then in January, as I said earlier, Mark Manuel in Greenock, a beautiful venue, but the tickets are going absolutely rapido. Every time I look at them, there's there's more tickets uh, gone. Johan Mialbe, there's a few left, so come along and say hello to us. There'll be a few of the Axon team there, I am sure. Enjoy the rest of your day. We'll be back at 12.30 tomorrow. And all that's left for me to say is Liam Carrigan, Lawrence Connolly, Ian Conroy, Thank you for joining me on a Celtic State of Mind. Podcast Network.